Father God, now as we look into these amazing words that our God breathed, sent to save us, keep us on the straight and narrow path, that he talks all about the comfort of uh, you being our good shepherd and what pastoral care looks like biblically and, and how the congregation is involved in looking out for one another as good shepherds. God, we pray that you would bless our understanding now in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you take your seat. Well, the Apostle Peter's writing, of course, uh, and this is his second, his first of uh, two letters, I should say. And the theme, of course, has been suffering for the faith. And what's interesting is that Peter has been calling out certain groups within the congregation uh, to encourage them to live for the Lord in the midst of persecution, uh, and particularly in the role that they serve in. For example, citizens were to live law-abiding and uh, lives that respected authority. So he called out the citizens, and then he called out the employees. And he said yeah, that we who are employed need to work with integrity and diligence, and uh, even for unreasonable and harsh employers. And then he called out Christian wives, that they should live uh, with respect uh, toward their husbands, and if any of them were unbelievers, uh, to let their godly lives do the preaching. And then he called out Christian husbands and their role uh, to love and care for their wives with a sensitive and understanding way. And now Peter's wrapping things up here in chapter 5, and he's got another group in mind. So it's time to talk to the pastors. First Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. To the elders, it's another term used for pastors. I'm going to talk all about the terms used. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, pastor, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds, the second word for pastor, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, the third term as a title for a New Testament pastor. Serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over, being harsh and bossy to those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. That humility is in mind there, and servitude. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So that's going to be our text to consider uh, this morning, this Lord's Day. And Peter is talking now about the type of shepherd leadership that's needed, especially when things are becoming more and more difficult with persecution, the kind of shepherd leadership that's needed to assure the health and well-being of a Christian congregation, and especially calling out the pastors here. Now, if you're not a pastor and a full-time ministry leader, these, these insights are pretty valuable nonetheless because what's good for the goose is good for the gander. In other words, when the Lord expects something, a moral quality or a character trait in a pastor, uh, nine times out of ten, he expects that in you as well. And so um, uh, we uh, just because you're not in full-time ministry doesn't mean that these things don't um, uh, relate to you. And so the other thing is, is that it's good for God's people who are likened as sheep uh, to see what the Lord, the chief shepherd, expects of uh, his under-shepherds who are uh, your pastors, you know. So it, it's really good. And also, 
You know, the way that God wants a pastor to care for the congregation is the way that he expects all Christians to have a little bit of that shepherding mentality to look out for one another. We are our brother's keeper and in that regard and that we all have that kind of oversight to care about people and to watch out for them, to point them to Jesus and, and help them uh, make wise choices. That's the work of congregational ministry, of pastoring, it's a joint, a joint venture, I should say, <clears throat> between, it's, a, it's kind of a, an alliance of the chief shepherd working through the under shepherd among God's own people, taking care of one another. And certainly the pastor can't do all the shepherding and all the caring because he's outnumbered. And so, of course, uh, the individual Christian who makes up the congregation uh, is called to be a part of this. And so, yeah, um, so <clears throat> there's a lot in the New Testament regarding what a pastor should be like, what he's supposed to be doing, character qualifications and all of that, lots of verses. But here, just in a few verses, he's going to talk about continuing to pastor not in a self-serving way or a domineering way, but in humility as an example to others uh, to be like Christ who didn't come to be served, but to give his life away. And so it's a, it's, let's dive in. It's a beautiful metaphor and it speaks volumes about really when you think about shepherding, which is an analogy God uses from cover to cover. Uh, he's really talking about who he is, what's in his heart, how he feels about us. And it also speaks to the nature of sheep in, in the analogy and the human condition and why we need shepherding and how to go about it and what pastors should be all about in their pastoral care. So it's a real rich metaphor. And so uh, as I promised, let's get a handle on the, the three basic terms for what we call pastor. Um, there are three uh, words in the New Testament that are always interchanged with one another. So we know that they all mean the same thing. And uh, in our fellowship, we, we refer to that position as pastor. Um, but we do use the word elders, too. And so <clears throat> I think that God uses three terms interchangeably for one office uh, to show us the full scope of what that person or that position uh, should be like, what kind of character, what kind of heart, what kind of person and what, and what they should be doing because all three of the words, starting with elder, he's saying, as an elder, I'm writing to elders. So the word there to describe a pastor just simply means older man. However, when you use it in this sense, it, it speaks of maturity, trustworthiness, uh, godly character, and biblical wisdom. And so uh, it really, for example, Timothy and Titus and uh, those men in the New Testament, some of them were in their late 20s and 30s. They would be considered elders, though they weren't advanced in years. They were advanced in spiritual maturity and therefore could function as a spiritual elder, though they weren't an elder in physical uh, terms as years. And so, yeah. And, and the word has a carryover from the Old Testament where Moses appointed 70 elders at his father-in-law, Jethro's uh, advice uh, when he saw him burning out. And he said, and this is the pattern we see. God calls a man and then he calls elders around that elder, the lead elder. And so together as a team led by the lead elder, we would call him the lead pastor. You see that in the Old Testament, and you see it in the New. Acts chapter 15, there's a bunch of elders in the room, but James is the lead, and James is the chair, and, and the last ultimate decision at the council comes from James because James is the lead elder. 
with the other elders supporting him. And so that's the word elder, really speaking of the wisdom and stature, uh, spiritually speaking, of the men. The second term is where we get the word pastor because that's what it means. In fact, shepherd, and it could be a noun or a verb, to shepherd really was translated uh, pastor in Ephesians 4 when he lists the offices of the New Testament church. You find this same word, (laughs) shepherd, but it appears as pastor because that's what a pastor does. And it's exactly what the word pastor means is to shepherd. And really, it speaks more of the heart. The, the first one, elder, speaks of the wisdom and the character, and pastor speaks of the heart of compassion. And when you hear the Lord describe himself as the shepherd, you just get the picture of this heart of love for people who are need shepherdings so much. And, and we'll talk more about that. Um, third is that word in verse 2, overseers. It also can be a verb to oversee or an overseer, a noun. And it was a title used for pastor. And uh, uh, related in an English-speaking way, bishop comes from that same word. And so the bishop is an overseer in formal denominations. They still use the term bishop. But whether you're saying bishop, overseer, elder, or pastor, you're saying the same thing. One person, the man ultimately called by God uh, to pastor, to shepherd as an under-shepherd of the true good chief shepherd, as he's called in this passage. And so, yeah, and, and, and the overseer, of course, describes the function in a practical way. What does a pastor do? He oversees people's lives, spiritually speaking, to make sure the sheep don't wander out into the freeway (laughs) because that's what sheep will do. They will go right out into the freeway. They don't look left. They don't look right. They just go out there as they are prone to wander. Lord, we feel it, prone to leave the God we love as we sing in the hymns. Sheep can get into all kinds of trouble and the overseer protects them uh, from, you know, wolves in sheep's clothing, you know, because that's a very bad thing. (laughs) You like that better than all the other services. Look at you. So, uh, yeah, so verse 1, he puts the pastors on blast and he says, to the pastors among you, I appeal to you, as your fellow pastor. Um, so the grammar allows for him to be saying, I appeal to you as your, fel- as your fellow elder. Kind of rhymes there. Uh, yeah, so this, we get to eavesdrop on sort of a pastor-to-pastor little chat here, little exhortation. And he's saying, <clears throat> this appeal comes from <clears throat> somebody like you. Not from a boardroom, not from the district office, from the guy behind a desk and a computer who has no inkling. Uh, He does some secular job, but he's still directing pastors. No, I'm a pastor serving like you. I feel the pressures. I know the pressures. I know the joys of the ministry. I know the ups and I know the downs. I'm your fellow elder. And so... <clears throat> now, we've got a pastor's conference, and, and that's just the best for a pastor to go to a pastor's conference because uh, the pastors are up there teaching and encouraging other pastors. And so when we look at that face and we hear him saying some challenging things, we receive it because this man, he's walked in our shoes. He knows the pressure that is on every pastor called of God to stand before God's people and, and to speak God's word and teach it, uh, he knows. And he knows. He knows the joys and he knows the challenges. And so this is what he's doing. He's establishing camaraderie because he's going to say some hard things here in the passage. And he's just saying, look, this is coming from my heart and I know exactly how you feel. So camaraderie, check, and then credibility. And he says, not only am I a pastor like you, but I actually witnessed his suffering 
and uh, that's amazing. Now, he could have said, I, and I'm an elder, and after all, I witnessed his life. No. I witnessed his resurrection. No. I saw him walk on water. No. I gazed upon him as he ascended to heaven. He could have said that because he did. Acts chapter 1, verse 11. But of all the things about Jesus, he said, I'm a witness of his suffering and his death on our behalf. Why did he do that? Well, a genius move by the Holy Spirit to direct these under-shepherds to see the good shepherd dying on their behalf and on the behalf of those they shepherd. You see? So, so really, here's what Jesus said in John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. John chapter 10, verse 11. Ah, so there you have it. So he's saying, isn't that what good shepherds do? I witnessed the good shepherd suffering and dying, not running away. You see, <clears throat> when persecution comes to the Christian church, they go first to, for the pastors, as we all saw in the last few years. So he's telling men who might be tempted to duck and cover and protect themselves and their wives and their babies. Oh, no. I witnessed the good shepherd laying down his life for the sheep because that's what good shepherds do. And he's entrusted them to you. And if it means laying down your life for them, then you will, if you're a good shepherd. But if, Jesus said, but if you're a hireling, a hireling is somebody who's in the position who just got hired by some board. You know, he got hired. Is his heart's not in it? Maybe one of a side gig or whatever reason, but he's a hireling. It's not in him. He's not really called of God. He's called of men or maybe himself. And so when trouble comes, he's out. He's out. You see, I don't sign up for this. And that's part of what he's going to say to them. It needs to come from your heart. So, yeah. <clears throat> so, uh, happily, he doesn't just say there's suffering and sacrifice. No, he says, yeah, we suffer together, but we're going to participate together in his soon coming glory when he appears for us. So, a real quick shout out to say it's not all suffering. And it's temporary, and this is heading somewhere. It's heading to his great payday. Jesus says, behold, I am coming soon, and my reward is with me, to quote him. So he's saying, I on the prize, everybody, not just pastors who are under the stress, but every single believer who belongs to God, look up and fix your gaze on Jesus, especially when you're hurting, disillusioned, or struggling. You look to him. Look at the reward. That's forever. Our lives are so short. They really are. And, uh, you know, the older you get, the more you realize that. So, yeah, a long story short, if we suffer with him, we will also reign with him. And so he wants to remind them this is headed in a good direction even though they're suffering. So verse 2, now we come down to the command, and here's what he's saying to the pastors. I'm a pastor, I'm talking to pastors, and I want you to pastor. That's exactly what it says. From pastor to pastor, now you guys, verse 2, you need to pastor the flock that God has entrusted under your care, uh, instead of shrinking back and running for cover and as uh, all the things we said. And so, yeah, the, he's speaking to guys who, when he says shepherd the flock, um, they know exactly what he means. And there's a multitude of things that he's preaching by just saying shepherd the flock because they know in an agrarian society all the things that shepherding means and implies for them, who they should be, what kind of character they should possess as shepherds because they know they know what they should be doing because they're well familiar, but modern ears need to unpack what, what he means by, hey, elders, pastors, pastor, shepherd. And so it's good to talk about these things because God loves the analogy of shepherd 
and sheep and flocks. He just loves it. Let me show you in Ezekiel this beautiful passage. I've condensed it to just make the points pop a little bit about shepherding. For this is what the sovereign Lord says, first person God speaking, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. Overseer, as a shepherd looks for his scattered flock when he's with them, so will I look after my sheep. Again, God's responsibility, our lives, his responsibility. The verse 13, I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. So in other words, there are always clouds and darkness and that always get us down, cause us great distress. But his job as shepherd as always rescuing us from the places. Sometimes it's our own doing and sometimes it's not. Uh, but his job, and not our job, his job is to rescue us. And uh, just beautiful things. So verse 14, I will tend them in good pasture, provision, speaking of there. Uh, they will lie down in good grazing land. They will rest. They will have peace of mind, um, contentment in their hearts, and uh, no fear. They will feed in rich pasture, abundant life. John chapter 10, where Jesus speaks of of shepherding, calls himself the good shepherd. Again, God the Father speaking here, and God the Son saying, hello, here I am, as the Father's uh, heart of shepherding as the good shepherd. So uh, verse 15, I will, I will tend. It's, very, it's a very rich word that just means this compassionate, gentle, humble, uh, patient striving with the sheep that's in trouble. That's love it. Uh, and have them lie down, declares the, again, resting, unafraid. That's an unafraid, able bodyguard at the door. No one's coming in here. Verse 16, I will search for the lost. Just, just a shout out to the human condition. All of this paragraph, for everything the the... the shepherd is doing or called to do uh, speaks of a vulnerable or broken or needy area of the sheep. Uh, just to, it, you just reverse it, just kind of uh, turn it around and you could see, oh, that's what he's saying is wrong with me and why I need shepherding, you see. I will search for the lost, bring back the strays, and I already quoted the hymn that we sing, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. You know, we, uh, we, he didn't just bring you back one time. He's been bringing you back a lot, hasn't he? When we go this way and this way, and he's always pulling back and pulling back, it's kind of like sometimes he's got the choker collar on us where the dog wants to go this way and that way, and he gives a little pull, doesn't he? <laughs> you feel that. And thank God we do. Thank God we do. Can you imagine if we didn't have a choker on? Oh, my goodness. Or no shepherd to, 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 to take his rod of discipline and go, whoa, 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 over here, over here. Love it, love it. And so bringing back the strays, binding up the injured, not euthanizing them, <laughs> thankfully, and strengthening the weak. He expects us. What is, what is the shepherd to expect of some sheep? That they're going to be wandering, that they're going to need care, that they're going to be diseased and sick and weak. That's what he expects. And then we feel so bad when, when we're finding ourselves in these conditions, that they're all conditions that he says, that's who you are in a broken world. And but look at who I am. I'm somebody who doesn't grow tired of it, but I'm compassionate toward your condition of imperfection and brokenness. This is a beautiful thing. You know, I was riding my bike through the pasture lands of Petaluma on my way to Bodega. And I saw something that was absolutely funny, uh, sad, cute. Uh, I saw this sheep, and he was stuck. He had put his head out of the wire fence that was pretty narrow in between the uh, wires. 
and he got his head out there. He's after something, you know, and I could kind of see what he was after. You know, there was a little outcropping of weeds, and it looked like right there, he's just after it, you know. So he's got his head out, but he's stuck. And he's very uncomfortable and bleating and just just looked so distressed. And he looked like he was choking almost because his head stuck. And I walked over to him and I'm like, bro, listen. Oh, I feel your pain. Uh, God is speaking a sermon to me right now. You know, been there, done this, you know. Uh, but because well, I, I'm a sheep, you're the sheep. And, and, and we get a little close to the borders and sometimes we get stuck, and the good shepherd has to unstick us, you know? And so I, I helped it. I think I got it out, you know? But I, I was thinking, you know, there's the good shepherd. We'll find him and know he's missing and go look for him and then tenderheartedly, that's the thing, doesn't come and mock you and put his finger in your face and say, oh, you can't do it. No. That's not him. And that's part of what he's going to tell the pastors. You don't do that. You don't lord it about. How many times do I, I should leave you there? No, that's not Jesus, the head shepherd's way. So the lower shepherds, including those in the congregation who are instructed to be ministerial caregivers, uh, have to be like that. Gentle. One sentence just was with me forever ever when we planted this church. He said, Paul says, and it's a quote in the New Testament, it's simple, be patient with the weak. Oh, you know, who's not weak? Just about everybody. And whenever you find yourself growing impatient with a difficult personality or problem, you're able to say as a caregiver, as you are, as I am, um, to be patient, to be like Christ is to me and how Christ is to you, amen? So I think you've got that. And so uh, let's move on. When Peter t tells the pastors to pastor, uh, they know right away what's of all the, on the list. There's one that is always preeminent and always number one. And the lead pastor must always make it the number one priority, feed the sheep. In fact, how do we know this? In fact, the word can be translated, shepherd can be translated feed. What it means. In fact, your King James Bible has, instead of shepherd the flock, it says feed the flock. Why? Because it can mean feed. And God did that for a reason. Unless, <laughs> so shepherds wouldn't be about doing the 25 other things before the main thing. Because if you have malnourished sheep, what does it matter if you do the 24 other things well? You know, they're just going to get sick and be ineffective and unproductive and possibly die. You don't have the word of God. What did, and how do we know this is true? Jesus himself said, quoting Deuteronomy, Chapter 8, he said, um, man can't live by bread alone. People can't live just by eating food. Nope, they'll die. They live by every word that proceeds from God's mouth. They live and subsist and are sustained. Spiritually speaking, the part of us that matters by the word of God. So the shepherd's responsibility is to feed the sheep. And who knows that better than Peter? Oh my goodness, Peter, when he was being restored in John chapter 21, post-resurrection appearance of Jesus to reinstate Peter after denying him three times, had three questions for him. But they were all the same question to kind of mimic the three denials to, re to reinstate him. And it was all about, do you love me? So he asked him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter said the same thing three times. Lord, you know that I love you. You know that I love you. You know that I love you. And Jesus said the same thing three times back. Then evidence your love by feeding, the word feed, my sheep. Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, were the three responses. Care 
for my people by nourishing them with what? What's in the trough? What do pastors put in the trough? With the word of God. Man can't live by bread alone, but by the word of God. And so uh, malnourished uh, sheep that don't get the, enough of the word of God, rightly divided or rightly handled uh, by the pastor, are in a world of hurt. And there are so many Christians today who go to well-intentioned churches with well-intentioned pastors, I should say, that, that and it's not rocket science. It's the word of God is already there. All you have to do is say, let's, let's go through the book of 1 Peter and let's start with verses 1 through 8. And then put it up on the screen, explain the word of God, focus on the word of God, cross references with the word of God, understand and apply the word of God, and you've unleashed something that is powerful and healing and can save. It's supernatural. And it's what shepherds are called to do. But as you know, there's, there's sort of a famine in at least the Western world, in the pulpits with the word of God. And people, Christians, are receiving all kinds of lessons on being a nice person, self-help kind of talks, or, or Christian exhortation that doesn't have a lot of meat. So you get a lot of altar calls with the same kind of message Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. But notice, uh, if... In that case, they're not going into the deeper truths, going verse by verse by uh, uh, looking at uh, the Bible. There's a lot of pitfalls. There's a lot of other things. You can talk about all kinds of things from the pulpit, but it leaves the sheep anemic, spiritually speaking, starved. And, And when a Christian isn't fed by their pastor the word of God, they're no match against their own sinful nature. Their marriages start to implode. Yeah, not always, but I'm saying if you have a marriage that is a little bit of work, you desperately need the feeding weekly of the word of God, rich, green, luscious, nutritious word of God. That's the picture of those green, thick meadows that the sheep are grazing in. And uh, without that, how can you say no to your flesh? How can you say no to the way the world's thinking and all the nonsense and garbage on social media as you're flipping through? You, you just don't have any counter if you're not being well-fed, you see? And that means not, not getting up and giving a diatribe on the political state of the world, And so I'll hear back from Christians who will say, Pastor Ross, why don't you teach about the political things going on in this world? And I will say, in love, God has not called me to be a political commentator. He's called me to teach his word and to preach the gospel, which will equip you to rightly live in a proper way wonderful way in the midst of the chaos in our political climate. So you can always go online and find out what's going on in the world. But on Sunday morning in this pulpit, I can only speak for me and the calling that I have. And it's to feed everybody with the antibiotics of the word of God and to cram that trough full a bible 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 because that's what gives us life i was at a community pastors meeting and many years ago not from around here and i said to the guy next to me who's pastor and i said hey so what's your text on sunday and he looked confused because you know he didn't have a text right He could tell me what he's going to preach about, but he didn't have a text. He has an idea. So I said, well, what are you preaching about? You look confused. And he said, and he explained it to me. And this is what I said. And I I said tongue in cheek with a smile, gently. I said, bro, bro, 
I said, honestly, I have a postgraduate degree from a seminary, and I don't have a clue what that meant. I don't have a clue. And I, I mean, and he, and he left, and I left, and he said, yeah, I'm still working on it. I said, it's Thursday. It's Thursday. You don't have a, I didn't say this. It's Thursday. <laughs> you don't have a text. You don't really know what you're saying. And what you are saying is confusing to a pastor and a teacher, a professor of pastors. I, I taught at the seminary for a couple of years. So if you're losing me, bro, I wanted to say, why don't, and I think I might have said a little bit of this, why don't you just go to the book of John and say, let's go through John. And we got the word of God and it's doing the work for you. It preaches for you. You're not up on Friday night going, what am I going to say? And you're going to make up some stuff and try to find it in the Bible somewhere. No, it's all done for you. It's laid out. You will never run out of stuff to say. You go from John to Acts to Romans to 1 Corinthians, and how about the Old Testament? It's there waiting. It's there waiting. And so that's our job. And, uh, you know, a lot of pastors are doing the best they can, and God bless them, bless their hearts. You know, it's a hard place to be. But if you're going to give seeker-sensitive sermons to attract the unchurched, you're doing so at the expense of equipping Christians. And you're just getting the same old uh, watered down. We don't want to offend those newbies, so they'll come. But when does the message ever change to the bait and switch thing? Haha, we got you in here because we left out all the offensive parts. When are you going to start talking about the deeper, more offensive truths that set people free? What truth is, they don't. Because then they wouldn't be the seeker-friendly church anymore. So they're kind of stuck. Nice idea. But uh, what I find is that when new people come in here, and, I'm in a, 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 and I'll meet them. They're brand new. Never been to church. And this happens once in a while. And I'm out there, and I'm like, oh, no. Today's sermon, you know, because we're not skipping so it's like, oh, my goodness, it's a wild one, you know? It's not something I would think, you know, you're new? Okay, let's talk about hell, you know, because it's, it's up there, right? I can't skip over it, right? So then I'm telling you what, as God is my witness, every single time I can recall, I find them afterwards, and I say, oh, sorry, you know, oh, wow. You know, it's like, oh, that was awesome. That was good. It's exactly what I needed to hear because it's the word of God. It's the word of God. God taught me a long time ago to stop tiptoeing around and worrying about how people receive his word. They were created to receive the gospel, and it's the truth that sets them free. They want to know the truth. And so we tell them the truth. Amen? Amen. Let's get to this part where he says, there are three things now, picking up at verse 2 there. He says three things, and it spills over to verse 3. Three job descriptions of a pastor that he wants to kind of elaborate on, even though we've kind of talked about what pastors do. First two exhortations found in verse 2. You are to oversee God's people, not because you have to, because you got to, but because you want to. That's interesting. Number two, he says, you are to oversee God's people, not for financial gain, but as a service to God. Trust the provision to him, man. And the third one found in verse three is you are to oversee God's people, not with a domineering attitude, but as an example, like Christ, a humble servant. Yes, with delegated authority from God, yes. But delegated authority to serve, as in washing feet and taking out the trash and changing diapers. Things like that, you see. And so this is what he's talking about. Let's touch upon the three ideas and then have communion together. So he says, oversee God's people not because you got to, but because it's in your heart to do it. Now, when, when God calls a pastor, according to the scriptures, 
One way you evidence that is a desire in your heart. In fact, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1 says, this is a trustworthy thing. Whoever aspires and desires to be an overseer, to be a pastor, if it's in your heart to be a pastor, you have a, a noble, it is a noble desire. Now, he will go on in that same chapter uh, to say, yes, there needs to be an attraction for the ministry, a joy, a yearning in your own heart to serve God and his people. But he will go on in that chapter to say, it's if, if the desire is truly planted by the Lord, there'll also be character qualities, and he lists a dozen, maybe 15, of character qualities to kind of vet that person with the desire. Hey, I want to preach. I want to be a pastor. Okay, let's go down the list here and see what God's doing. And then uh, and he also throws in the speaking gift. If you cannot speak eloquently of, at some level to make the word of God interesting and understandable, then God has not called you to pastor. And it's very clear in there. Doesn't mean you need to be a five-star uh, preacher. Paul the apostle said, I'm not very good with my mouth. Paul the apostle. So you don't have to be stellar. And every sermon has to be a 10 no, but you have to be able to uh, leave people with more understanding than when they came in and don't confuse them more. And they go out more confused than when they came in. That's a bad sign. Amen? Yeah. All right. Good, good, good. <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah. So what's going on here is probably, here's what commentators say, what's he talking about here to these pastors? Well, things have heated up. The pastor might be uh, detained or slapped down with a fine, you can't preach anymore, or probably been arrested. And so what has happened? Well, John, John didn't sign up for the job, but John, he knows the Bible, everyone loves John, he's very warm, and he's comforting to be around, and it's like, John, John, we need a pastor. So John's been standing up on Sunday morning, and John's been doing it. But John didn't sign up for his not in John's heart. You see, so you can have the ability to speak, and you may be, uh, have some Christian character, but he says, boy, and Peter knows this and everybody knows this, if something's not in your heart, it's going to affect the quality. It's going to affect your ability to hang tough during the hard times. If it's not in your heart, well, it doesn't mean that you need to be leaping for joy about every aspect of the thing we're talking about, which is not true. So a lot of things that are unpleasant about the tests that God calls us to. But still, it's got to be in your heart. It's got to be in your heart. So that's what he's saying there. And then, um, okay, the second one. You are to oversee God's people, not for financial gain, but as a service to God. This is ugly and, and maybe what's gone on here, commentators suggested that um, perhaps the persecution, people are losing their jobs, there's a, they're having a hard time making ends meet. And so there might be temptations uh, to manipulate the more wealthier congregants or to misappropriate church funds just because under the pressure of, you know, my kids aren't eating. I, I don't know, but he's saying, look, uh, trust God. You're not in it for the money. God will take care of you. Stop thinking and, and doing things because you're financially motivated that way. Now, it's interesting. In the Old Testament and the New, every elder who ever served in full-time capacity was supported uh, by the ministry. And so in the Old Testament, the elders and the Levites who served in the temple uh, were made their living uh, through the tithing and the offerings. That carried over to the New Testament, and the Lord um, brought this word through the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 9. The Lord has commanded those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 14. 
But no sooner than that word came that Paul had to warn the, every church, watch out for the fraudsters who are in it to manipulate you, and it's all about money and getting rich. And that's been the case from the Old Testament, 1400 B.C., that's, what is that, 3,400 years ago, 3,400 years ago, with Balaam, the prophet for hire. You know, he would say anything you wanted him to say for the right price. And so ever since that day, through the whole New Testament, through the past 2,000 years, people have been selling their holy water for 99.99, you know, with a blessing. And you send in this money and manipulating widows out of their homes and out of their pensions, uh, all, all in a diabolical and terrible way. And uh, that's terrible. One person uh, last service said, Pastor, I'm new here. And I noticed you didn't take an offering. What about the offering? And I said, ah, you know, I prayed over it because it's a part of worship. But in light of the abuse, the pastor's always talking about money, 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 money. Uh, we, don't, we don't want an unbeliever to come in and say, see, it's all about the money. So we leave giving between. Calvary chapels have done this, and we've done this since day one. The boxes are in the back. And if you want to give, you'll find them. <laughs> so that we don't, I, my job isn't to raise finances. It's to trust God and preach the word. And he promises as our shepherd of the flock at the rock uh, to provide for us. And he always has. We've never had a fundraise, even though we don't even take offerings. You don't pass the plate. So nobody can sit here and visit the church and say, See, here comes the plate. No, Sorry. I mean, you can find other problems with me, <laughs> with us, I'm sure. But one of those problems isn't that we passed the plate and we like got the thermometer, you know. We're buying chairs, you know, so we'll get, we'll get Jacob on his ladder, you know, <laughs> and we'll have a red whatever. <laughs> He's like, like, look, like my dad. My dad asked me in a very nice way, and it was loving. I was leaving for Bible college, and I said, Dad, I, I think I'm going to be a pastor. It's just looking that way. And he said, oh, that's nice, but can you support yourself and a family in the ministry? He's a brand-new Christian. He didn't know, but he was concerned. And my answer was, huh, I never thought of that. And I said, Dad, to tell you the truth, I don't care. I really don't care because... It's a calling. It's in my heart. And I said to him, and I know where I was standing. I was 19. I know where we were standing in the room. I said, Dad, wink, wink. God will probably take care of me if I do what he wants me to do. You see? And, and my, it was a very, very sweet conversation. And uh, that's how everybody I know uh, feels about it. One thing I told the congregation, I love Eric Lid Little. What's, what's his name? Liddell. And uh, he's from Chariots of Fire fame. And uh, 1924, Paris Olympics. He's a sprinter and a um, Christian missionary. But he got a lot of notoriety for his Christian integrity. And one thing he said, I love that quote. He said, God made me fast. And when I run... I feel his pleasure. And I hear Peter saying, Pastor, pastor for his pleasure. And leave the provision to him. And I hear the Lord say to the congregation, Congregation, trust God and live your Christian life for his pleasure because you cannot serve God and money you see so the love of money the root of all evil is applied to pastors and to everybody in the congregation finally he says there number three he says um you are to oversee god's people not with domineering attitude, but with humility as an example, and serving like Christ served. Right, so in Matthew 20, we have a great illustration of what not to do. James and John, brothers, led by their mother, 
Matthew 20, uh, go to Jesus and they say to Jesus, we want you to do whatever we ask. And he kind of probably smiles and says, what is it you want? Just like that. And they tell him, when you come, the second coming, and in your kingdom, we want the number one and number two spot. Actually, I, one on your left and one on your right. Is that okay? And so Jesus dealt with them and said, essentially, you guys are out of your minds. Uh, he essentially said, he said, you don't know what you're asking. You don't know what you're thinking, you know. And so after he said that, he gave a great teaching um, analogy, a moment here. He said this, and I have it for you. Matthew 20, verse 24 when the 10 other disciples, and I love this, heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. You know why? Because they wanted that, you know? And it's like, how dare you guys beat us? Uh, that was what I was going to ask, <laughs> you know, whatever. Well, no, I'm sure they were upset too as well because, uh, because they were putting themselves above their fellows there. Verse 25, but Jesus called them together. You know the rulers in this world, they lord it over people bossing around, using their power to self-serving ways. The officials flaunt their authority over those under them, and that's how they see them. You're under me. Uh, but among you, pastors, he's talking to pastors, isn't he? Future pastors. But among you guys, it's going to be different. Whoever wants to be a pastor among you must be your servant, Whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. So that's pretty amazing uh, stuff there. And um, really, you know, pastors have limited authority in people's lives. Uh, pastors must always understand the only person you can control is yourself. And even even controlling ourselves is hard. So there's, there's, there's a sense of pastoring God's people where you pray for them, you listen to them, you love on them, you, you show them the example, you show them in the Bible uh, what the wise thing to do in a certain thing, and then you leave the rest to God, who God is their shepherd. And God and the Holy Spirit is running their lives, not the pastor. That's kind of the idea here. Is, is that you don't control people's lives. You don't tell people. You, you could say, now that book, for, here are three articles. This just happened. Here are three articles about that book. I personally don't think it's helpful, and I don't think it's biblical. Um, and so if I were you, I would avoid it. I wouldn't read it. Am I going to say, and if you don't, you know, no, 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 no. There's none of that. Is there, there are hard lines in pastoring. If somebody is on staff and there's sin, they have to be dealt with, right? And, and they have to be told, you can't work here if you're living in sin, right? And so, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about not using your authority in the right way, even when you have to use your authority like that and say, listen, you can't, be on staff and do that, that you're, you're doing it with humility and love and grace. In the, in the most gracious way humanly possible, you're still called to honor that. And, and that's the idea here, is that God didn't give you uh, authority to be like that. And perhaps some pastors are like that. I, I asked Barb, do you know of any abusive pastors since we've been in ministry for almost 40 years? We could think of one. So I'm, maybe you can think of more, but I'm not talking about a pastor who's got some growing edges, but I'm talking about a, a real abuser, like somebody who just takes the rod and just breaks people's kneecaps all the time. That's kind of a joke around here, because I always say, do you value your kneecaps to somebody? But as a joke, I wouldn't really break their kneecaps, you know. If somebody didn't say hi to me once, and I said, why didn't you say hi to me? You know, oh, you're so busy. I'm like, do you value your kneecaps? You know, so anyway, I got that from a cousin. I was like, 
He was in the mafia. No, just kidding. So yeah, that's the idea there. One last thought that I think you'd appreciate. He's uh, one commentator, a scholarly commentator, um, said this. The rare word used for lording it over in, in the grammatical construction implies a mutual consideration of each other, pastor and congregant, congregant and pastor, that the pastor's behavior shouldn't cause offense unnecessarily, overly harsh to the congregant, and the congregant shouldn't behave in a way that would almost entice that kind of uh, harshness. So, so what the commentator was saying is, is that there's a reciprocity involved in shepherding and the sheep with the pastor. The pastor doesn't bully the sheep, and the sheep doesn't, don't bully the pastor. And uh, so I thought that was interesting because, you know, I don't have to count on one hand, as I said, I think of one really abusive pastor who is kind of mentally unstable. But that's all. But if you ask me about my pastor friends who have been chewed up and wounded, mortally wounded in their congregations, I would say I think everyone, all of them, have a story. So that's something to consider that, and, and let me close out, kind of bring things to a head here with Hebrews chapter 13, because it's give and take. It's pastor, congregant, congregant, pastor. Have confidence, congregation, sheep, in your shepherds, and submit to their authority, because they keep watch over you. There it is, oversee. As those who must give an account to God. Do this so that their work is a joy. Don't make things harder. Make things easier, not a burden. Because what benefit would that be to you? You're just, just shooting yourself in the foot by being a little uncooperative. So I think the word here is that 99% of the little church squabbles, you know, did, did, did he say this? And then they don't, they don't bother to ask the pastor, well, what did you mean when you say that? And then they run with it. And then only to find out that that's not what the pastor really meant. So all of the ways that sheep can offend sheep and sheep can offend pastor and pastor can offend sheep would be to what he's saying here is that we can let love cover that. And to let the Lord's sacrifice on our behalf be the bigger picture and to be able to let the small stuff go. And what I found in ministry over all of these years is there's an awful lot of small stuff, a lot of stuff. Hurt feelings, talking too much about in areas that we shouldn't be talking about, and criticalness, you know, and yeah. I was talking, uh, I mentioned this, uh, the last two services, sitting next to somebody in a restaurant, and they were kind of chewing up their pastor uh, and his wife. And uh, we were sitting so close, it was just uh, horrible. There was nothing I could do. I, I thought about begging God to bring the rapture. <laughs> I was praying, come Lord Jesus right now, please. Uh, uh, but as I was listening, I was really feeling sorry uh, for the pastor, because I'm sure he doesn't even know that's beneath the smiles of those people there. And I was just like, grace, because everything they were saying could have been covered with grace. He's your pastor. He loves you. He prays for you. He's called of God. Cut him some slack. No, maybe he's tired. Maybe the kids are sick. Maybe somebody called in the middle of the night and kind of threw him for a loop. You know, that happens, you see. Now, I tell everybody who comes to speak here, I say, get ready to covet and to be jealous and to deal with it because you are going to fall in love with this congregation because we got a unique thing. We do. We have a unique thing. It starts with the staff. The staff love each other a lot. We just, we just do. We're like family. 
and uh, especially this season, the last few years, just really nice. That trickles down. And as the pastor and the staff, so go the church, so goes the church. And so this is a warm, and I tell them this, you're gonna, you're gonna love them. They're hospitable, they're warm, they love the Bible, they love the gospel, they love altar calls. I mean, and and they laugh at almost all of my jokes. <laughs> right there, you see? And uh, so we're blessed. My goodness, and for every Debbie Downer, like who I got seated next to, uh, there's a hundred cheerleaders. There's a hundred cheerleaders who are spiritually sensitive and they send encouraging texts and all kinds of amazing things, cards and wonderful emails and all of that. So praise the Lord uh, for, for that. We are going to close out with the last idea was the crown, the crown. The chief shepherd is coming to give reward to God's people, the congregation, and to the pastors. Faithful pastors receive the crown, and not just for the pastor, but for everyone who loves his appearing, loves the promise. Faithful in the pews, faithful in the pulpit, blessed reward. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your wonderful blessing of your word that just fills our hearts with such comfort. We know who you are, your heart toward us. We know what our responsibilities are here in the word. Help us, Lord, it's pretty simple just to love you and to love one another, to look out for one another. Be good caregivers. In the name of Jesus, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.